3: Very happy to say that today we are rejoined on the pod by uh, the OBGYN extraordinaire, Dr. Jen Gunter. Uh, Dr. Gunter is not just an esteemed author, uh, but is also a trailblazer into mystifying women's health issues. She's the number one best-selling author of the Vagina Bible, uh, also the Menopause Manifesto, uh, books that have revolutionized how we understand and talk about women's health. And when I say we... I mean the general public, but I also mean us three uh, because Dr. Gunter was on the show back in 2021, which I think was like kind of a, a big eye-opener for us when we dived into uh, menopause and, and misinformation and the patriarchy's kind of impact on, on healthcare, in particular women's healthcare. Uh, her new book, Blood, The Science, Medicine, and Mythology of Menstruation, promises to be just as groundbreaking as the last two. Uh, shedding light on a topic that's been shrouded in myth for far too long. Dr. Jen Gunter, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to see you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
3: Um, I, we got, I got a copy of the book uh, on the, over the weekend. Uh, beautiful book. Thick book. Uh, who knew menstruation could, uh, could warrant uh, just over 400... 50 pages of content. I feel like
2: half the population was
0: like, we knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, so, uh, I actually, I mean, to that point, um, I would say maybe this is ignorant to say, but I, I, I'm surprised at the size, size of the book because I thought like we didn't know that much. I mean, it seems like when I talked to, so I mentioned Jim before we started recording that, uh, my girlfriend Maddie, who's a very big fan of yours, wants to go into maybe the biggest uh, <laughs> <laughs> pelvic floor physiotherapy, and so she's talking to me a lot about um, women's health, women's reproductive health, health. And I got her a book for Christmas, um, the Pussypedia, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, but I I was under the impression that like we actually don't know that much. How ignorant is that?
1: Well, I would, we know a lot about, about the menstrual cycle. We know a lot about, uh, um, you know, uh, what we call reproductive physiology or menstrual physiology. I think that we can always know more. And I think how we apply that knowledge clinically, how we get from like what we call basic science, like how things work in a lab or how the hormones work, how we apply that to how people live their lives we still need to know more. We don't have as many therapies for menstrual related conditions as we have for, for example, other conditions. So um, despite the fact that they affect a lot of people. So clearly there's knowledge gaps, but we actually do know a fair bit. And I think that the fact that people don't know what we know is a big problem because that's how people end up you know, falling down wellness traps, and you know, getting lured in by you know naturopaths to take supplements that have been unstudied and things like that, because you know there are gaps. There definitely are gaps, and they get exploited by people.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally, it feels like, um, and and maybe to your point, like there there is a lot that we know, but but like socially, maybe that information isn't mm. getting out as well as it should be. Does that sound accurate?
1: Yeah, because it's there's shame about it, right? It's ridiculous. It's a body part, it's a body function. You know, nobody Ooh. feels shameful about respiration. Nobody feels shameful about, you know, um, needing to pee. I mean, you'll say, Hey, excuse Ooh. me, I gotta go to the bathroom. No way, you know, people like, okay, people accept that they understand that everybody, you know, urinates. So yeah. this idea that somehow menstruation is worse or grosser or more shameful is really tied into, you know, damaging tropes about female bodies and about reproducing the worth of a woman to being either a virgin or someone who can produce a lot of babies. Like it's mm. an edge of a knife, you know, you got it like you got to give to walk that line. So, um, so I think it's all related to, you know, the systemic oppression and the, these sort of tropes that have been around harmful tropes that have been around mm. for a long time.
3: I, I got a question about the shame. Uh, I mean, do you, do you have a sense of whether or not that shame has sort of been around for as long as we can remember? Or do you feel like historically, maybe there was a shift at a certain period in time where that shame sort of came into the picture? Um, what, like, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Where like where the shame maybe or originated from, uh, or you know, how, how long that shame has kind of been steeped in, in, in in menstruation.
1: I think it's, a unifying thread in any patriarchal society. So, you know, if you look at, you know, cultures that are matriarchal, I think it's far less likely, Um, but they're not the dominant ones or they're not the dominant ones now. Um, And I think as far back as recorded history, I mean, the ancient Greeks thought female physiology was problematic and troublesome. Um, Religions, that's, you know, seems to be baked into a lot of religions or anyway, how we interpret them. you know, in many cultures, women have been you know not been able to <coughs> pardon me, prepare food or you know when they're menstruating, this idea that it's dirty and toxic and mm-hmm. polluting's been a pretty long standing universal you know concept um in many patriarchal societies, so i I don't think it's anything new uh, and I think it's related to not understanding physiology and realizing that that's a great way if you want to control half the population then you know you make their very function problematic mm-hmm. and and also you know once you start menstruating <coughs> pardon me you're you know you're capable of theoretically of getting pregnant and that mm-hmm. changes your worth
3: mm-hmm.
2: um kind of going down um a a, a a similar or adjacent adjacent question to 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 what you asked Brian in terms of like the social the social aspect um, of the topic of menstruation i i in in that same vein, I feel like there's a lot of there is a a uh, like a broadly maybe maybe subconsciously accepted idea that um you know if you're a uh, that if you're a male, it's just not something that you need to think about or know about or or care about. Um, what do you think in terms of like the value that it represents for um, for? Both segments of the population, male and female, mm-hmm. to understand the menstrual cycle in in a in a, in like a social and physiological way.
1: Yeah. So, just speaking broadly, social, um, everybody's here because of menstruation. The menstrual cycle didn't exist; you wouldn't be here. Um, human evolution has depended on the menstrual cycle. So, the big brains that we have, the all every. Every piece of technology you have, everything that you've enjoyed in your life is in some part related to menstruation. So if you reframe it like that, it changes things a lot. Mm. You know, the, if it weren't for menstruation, we wouldn't have these thicker, bigger placentas that could provide more oxygen and we couldn't um, have the kind of brains that we have. So all of these things are related in part to menstruation. So from a, it benefits everybody here. That's one reason to learn about it. The other reason is why should half the population bear all the burden? I think that, you know, if we want to have an equal society, everybody should know about this. And I think it's, it's really important for people to understand that the costs that go along with menstruation. So not only, you know, do you have to buy menstrual products? Do you maybe miss work or miss school because of pain? You're paying more in healthcare in places where you pay for healthcare. You're, you know, you have less therapies available to you, and all of these things affect how you can live in society. They might af- affect mm. the money that you make. All of these things have an impact, and, and I, you know, that's not really fair. So yeah. at mm. at some point, we need to be able to equalize it and. It's not even that we have equitable treatments, right? We have inequitable treatments. So we have less funding for these things than we have for other things. So I think mm. that that everybody needs to know about it from that perspective as well.
2: I mm. think about it I think about it from a social <clears throat> from a social standpoint. I think about I have a daughter, soon to be two daughters, and I think about how how when they get their period How awful it would feel for me as a parent to be just totally unequipped in any way, shape or form to be able to support them in questions or anything like, you know, uh, I mean, we they have a mother, God forbid anything happened to her. But like, what if what if they don't or what if like they just have to just be able to distribute that education and understanding and support amongst the two of us rather than rather, Mm. rather me as a father just being like, not my area, Mm -hmm. you know, like I think of it in that context. Absolutely.
1: I mean, it's ridiculous that there's this sort of one bodily function that we can't talk about or that it's taboo that doesn't serve anybody. And as a parent, you know, you, you don't want to see your children suffering. Like if you know more things like, Hey, you can take ibuprofen. I already bought some for you, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, Hey, you know, here are these different menstrual products. I know that you, I heard you say you hate the way pads feel. I, I bought you a couple of others, try them out. I mean, that should be normal. That should be like a normal parenting conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of the gender of the parent. Like it's not, it's, you know, you, you you know, if your kid was having problems with toilet paper, you'd go out and buy a bunch of different toilet paper and you wouldn't think anything of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you'd say, okay, well, or we put a bidet in. So, you know, so I think that if you can talk about those things, you know, Mm -hmm. with your kids, you, you know, parents will say, oh my you know, your kid might complain they're having constipation. You're like, well, maybe you need to eat more fiber. Like mm-hmm. those are conversations parents have and they're not too bothered about it. So we just need to be able to democratize, I think, the conversations about uh, about menstruation.
0: Mm-hmm. How, how important is it for people, um, in particular like parents, to educate themselves about the diversity of experience that exists? I, I think of, so I have ADHD and I, I saw a meme the other day where like a a parent's a kid's talking to their parent and they're like, I have all these symptoms in school where I feel distracted and I can't pay attention and I feel hyperactive. And the parents response is like, Oh, that's just the way life is like you have to sort of deal with it. And you sound like my mom (laughs) implying (laughs) that like implying that like the parent also has that, but doesn't realize because they just assume that that is normal. And I wonder if, you know, for a, a, you know, a a mother who perhaps has something like endometriosis or experiences very painful periods, but has sort of been brought up in this culture where they believe that that is just the norm because they don't talk about it because there is shame and stigma around it. So they sort of like pass these ideas on to their kids where they're just like, oh, you just have to sort of deal with it because that is the way that it is. Is that like part of what, um, perpetuates stigma.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, my own experience was, you know, I had terribly painful periods and I was just told that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. So you're like, Oh, okay. Like, and since no one else talks about it, you're like, well, that would be normal. I mean, if, you know, if your if your parents told you that, you know, every single person wears shorts. Nobody wears long pants. What are you talking about? Like you would start to, you they would look at people wearing long pants and think they were weird. Like, so I think that, you know, we're very affected by those things that we hear. And, but then with the pants analogy, then you would go out into the real world and you'd say, wait a minute, there's a lot of people wearing long pants. Hmm, maybe what I learned wasn't quite right. And oh, I see people on TV shows in long pants. Maybe, maybe some people do wear long pants, but since you don't see anything about menstruation anywhere, you have no ability to sort of get that, that the information from your culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's starting to change, but, um, but, but not, you know, it's definitely changed, for example, from when I was young, but it hasn't changed that Mm -hmm. much. Um, And so I think that that's, again, important, why we need to have the conversation so people can have an idea about what's normal, what's not. They Mm -hmm. need, you know, knowledge about your body is power.
3: I'm I'm curious, like about your thoughts around. So you know that this all makes sense from the standpoint of how the stigma and the shame surrounding menstruation has had an effect on the general population, um, and like the ways that people may or may not view menstruation. Um, But from your experience as a doctor, um, how do you think that that shame or that stigma has has shown up? within the healthcare system or, you know, or, or has it?
1: Well, I mean, it's a massive conversation. So first of all, you know, uh, female physiology has been completely understudied. I mean, in the United States, it wasn't until 1993, that if you were getting a grant from the federal government that you had to include women in -hmm. the studies, I mean, unless obviously, you know, if you're studying erectile dysfunction, then obviously that wouldn't come Mm -hmm. to play. but, but, but you had to have women in studies. So before that, they didn't have to. And, you know, if you're thinking about learning how a drug works in the human body, how it might work in a body that has a physiology that's changing day to day could be very different from how it works in a body with different hormones, right? Mm-hmm. So do medications for high blood pressure work the same for women? Do medications for uh, heart disease work the same. Do medications for diabetes work the same? All of these things are really grossly understudied. So when mm-hmm. you just look at not even the act of menstruation, but just even how medications, how surgeries, how all these things affect women, we have less data. And then you think about we have we have less treatments because there's been less funding. Also, you know, if you even look now, so. If you think about uh, doing a biopsy on a vulva, so, or versus doing a biopsy on a scrotum, you use the same equipment, it's all the same stuff, it's the same technical everything. And a urologist will get paid more for doing that biopsy than a gynecologist will get paid more for
0: doing Ooh, that biopsy. What? Why? Right?: Why? Yeah. Why yeah.
1: Because women care for women is undervalued,
0: hmm You
1: know, oh, it must be harder, men are special, you know, oh, urologists are mostly men, all of that, it's all baked into the system, right? But, you know, if a urologist, an ill-dominated field, does a hysterectomy in the United States, some of them do do hysterectomies, they almost always get to bill more than a gynecologist does. Gynecologists wow. mostly women. It seems so, like it would be
0: easier wow. to do a, a surgery on a scrotum because it's basically everything's essentially outside. Oh, of hanging the body out there, anymore. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, but you think, okay, well, those should be the same. They're basically the same. It's the same biopsy. It's the same embryological tissue. Like you should say, those things should could be the same, and they're not. Hmm. And if you look at salaries for OBGYNs versus salaries for other surgeons, paid less. Hmm. Um, and so it's not just about the the lack of studies. It's not just about the lack of funding, but that also then affects like, if you want to become a medical researcher in general, you have to pay your own way. So when you go to it, you either get great grants or you make enough money in your practice that then you can cover extra time to then spend time writing to get grants. Mm. But if you're reimbursed less as a gynecologist, it's going to be harder for you then to carve out that time to then write grants, to learn, to study things.
2: Mm-hmm. It's just like a right? gigantic trickle down mm-hmm. effect yeah. from the top to the bottom.
1: Exactly.
3: I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, I, I mean, I'd love to get into some of the, some of the specifics of, you know, surrounding the content of, of the new book. Um, but before we do, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, so, you know, your, your first book, the vagina Bible, all about, I mean, it, it literally, the, it it is in the it title. It is the, it is the Bible. <laughs> Bible for the vagina. It's everything you'd want to know about the vagina. All the misconceptions. All the things that you should know. Um, the The manifest, the menopause manifesto. Um, you know, kind of the same thing, but just all about uh, all about menopause. Um, what was the What was your thought process in going? Okay, I've done. You know, I've done these two books. They've done very well. Um, what was this? What was the impetus to go? You know what? We got to. I got to do one on menstruation.
1: Well, first of all, uh, I had signed a two book deal, so I had okay, no choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, so, right. You know, I had a two book deal for menopause <laughs> and another general book on women's health to be determined. So, um, so when, you know, the menopause tour was kind of, you had wrapped up and it was obviously very different cause it was COVID and, um, uh, this was around the time that the, uh, COVID vaccine was, you know, had just come out and mm-hmm. all of these fears about the vaccine affecting reproduction, about affecting the menstrual cycle, all this disinformation had really like gone into high drive on social media. And other people who also spread disinformation around the menstrual cycle were also getting a lot of attention. It was around that time that that movie um, about the pill that I would like to call it a mockumentary because it's not mm-hmm. really a documentary, um, you know, sweetening the pill or whatever it was called, the, you know, the one with Ricky Lake, that also was out. And that also sparked a whole sort of cottage industry of disinformation about the menstrual cycle. And a lot of the um, apps that are, you know, um, menstrual apps, I was seeing misinformation, that misinformation from them. And it just seemed like this was just like nexus of, mm. You know, and I every single day I'd get direct messages on Instagram from people: "Is this true? Is this true? Is this true? Is this true?" And if they, if every single one of those people had actually just known how the menstrual cycle worked, they'd been able to just been like block, block, mm. block. <laughs> but because people don't know and they're afraid, and these cultural fears, like you know, many people do not want to have ever want to be pregnant, um, and some people do at some point in their lives. But there is this sort of like cultural sort of in the ethos that, oh, but that might prevent you from getting pregnant. This sort of like this fear and it's related Mm -hmm. to your patriarchal worth in a society. And I think that even if it doesn't affect you personally, you know, it, it affected your mother and your grandmother and your great grandmother and so on. And it's so it's hard not to feel that pressure. If you will, even if it's not a personal pressure to reproduce that there's got to be like something there it must be harmful right and and so it's a you know you're fighting against how we've been socialized for thousands of years, and you've been you know socialized that the reproductive tract is pure, clean, natural, you know, or that it needs to be kept that way so when you look at all these wellness influencers, these anti vaccine grifters, naturopaths mm. are always using the language of purity culture mm. and so I was like. You know, people. The the best way to fight against that is knowledge—to learn what it is and to really point that out—that you're seeing purity culture in action.
2: How do you? How do you reckon as a as a gynecologist um, doctor who has you know spent a great deal of time studying and researching you know scientific evidence based material, um, and then and then ultimately become an author congregating a lot of this material and putting it out into the world as like a hey here's like countless hours of you know blood sweat and tears to 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 arm you with this knowledge and that takes a long time there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot that goes into that process and then on a daily basis being able to open up any social media app and just see this like, like a dam has just broken like this flood of bullshit uh that that it's like it takes so long and so much effort for you to compile all this well researched information, and everybody can just go onto these apps and just go, "Here's what I'm just thought of right now <laughs> you know yeah. like how do you how do you reckon with that
1: It's really challenging, it's really challenging because you see you know people write books who clearly don't have any basic understanding of the menstrual cycle from what they're talking about in social media. You see them get massive platforms and get, you know, put on all different kinds of podcasts and those clips circulate and, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's really disheartening at times. Um, And so you just kind of have to focus on what you can do and you just have to say, okay, I'm going to be a beacon of light. I'm going to be a beacon of information and I'm just going to do that because I know there's people who are interested in it. I know some people go to those accounts because there aren't other options and they're mm-hmm. looking for information mm-hmm. um, and maybe they don't know that a chiropractor is not actually a medical expert. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so you got to point those things out that, you know, um, that a naturopath is not a medical expert, that a menstrual coach is not a medical expert, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just being like, okay, here's, here's the science. Let's try to make it a little bit fun. Um, and also to point out how many of these things are linked with, you know, conspiracy theories and again with purity culture.
3: Mm. Yeah. I mean, with all that, I'd love to dive into some of the myths because, you know, flicking through your book, uh, there was a few myths in there that I was like, oh my, whoa, like I've never, I've never heard that. Um, (laughs) there were somewhere where, you know, when I, when I read the, the, the heading of the myth, I went, okay, I could like, I could see how someone might, uh, might think that like, I could see how that maybe perhaps there was like, I don't know, something, something happened that, that maybe pointed towards that. So I would love to kind of go through a few of these sure. uh, uh, to kind of pick your brain about them, but also for you guys to hear like some of these myths that, that for me, there were some of them just stood out as like, just absolutely bananas. Um, so uh, I guess, I guess before I get into those and and we've sort of touched on this, but do like in do, in your, in your in your opinion do you feel like these myths are you know like a direct result of what we've been seeing over the last I guess like it's been 5 years this sort of this this like boom this explosion in the in the wellness industry with like wellness influencers and and like the 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 wellness industrial complex you know mm-hmm. where you have these, these folks popping up, especially after COVID with like the vaccines and stuff. It just seemed like it, it was everywhere. And it still seems like it's not going away. Like it, it is still everywhere. Um, how much, you know, do you feel like that has sort of increased these myths or, or this is just a cyclical thing that happens every whatever decade, something comes along where it just kind of injects a little bit more of this mis, misinformation and, and myth uh, surrounding whatever health topic we might be talking about.
1: I mean, they're all the same myths that have been around forever or a Ooh. variation on a theme. But what we're seeing now, I think is more and worse because propaganda works. And, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the only time you're going to be exposed to a myth might be like in the bathroom with a bunch of other girls, uh, because people didn't really talk about periods. Right. So there's that, which is, I mean, it's great. We're talking about it, but Problem is when you talk about things, then you start also more misinformation comes out. Mm. So, so there's that we can talk about things. And also if you wanted to read about it, like, where were you going to read about it? Like Reader's Digest, right? Like, oh, these are the, the top five, you know, whatever farmers almanac treatments that, you know, for, <laughs> you know, cause they, they used to have all that kind of stuff, right? Like it was the first time I read about putting an onion in your sock to cure warts was like in Reader's Digest. So, <laughs> so you didn't have access to it it wasn't in the same way. Um, And so we're now seeing conspiracy theories all mainstreamed. We know that it takes exposure really to disinformation once to have a potential effect on you. Mm. But five exposures can get you to believe something absolutely ridiculous could Mm -hmm. potentially be true. And so- you know, it's a very frightening world that we are in because when you look at social media and if you start scrolling in videos and the algorithm knows that, you know, you've, you've spent more time on one video, it feeds you that. So if you happen to watch the chiropractor that says that the menstrual cycle is a detox, which Mm -hmm. it's not. Um, and the detox is like a made up word. Um, you're going to then start to see more of that person's content right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or if you are watching an influencer who says that tampons are dangerous, Mm -hmm. you're going to start to see more of that. So social media is a propaganda tool. And Mm. people have to be aware of that they have to be. So I think things are worse, because you're just seeing in the space of five minutes on TikTok or Instagram, you might see the same thing, but presented in a slightly different way. um, Easily five, 10 times 20. Mm.
2: I mean, it's a not to beat a dead horse, although it's a it's a horse well worth beating the 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 nature of social media being see it, see it, digest it, move on. Makes it so that the lengths that somebody will go to scratch beneath the surface before they absorb it as a truth and move on to the next thing is like Mm -hmm. it's like non-existent. Mm -hmm. I mean. You'll get sent something of any, uh, uh you know, on any topic and you know, I could send something sometime and I see it and like something in my brain just goes, this cannot be true. And it really just takes a, a simple three word Google search to see if it's true and I respond to the person and go, did you look at this at all? And they go, no, I just saw it and thought you'd be interested. So I sent it. And it's like, yeah. it's like, that's how this happens mm-hmm. by just going, saw it, send forget about mm-hmm. it and then cycles around, like you said, like one exposure to something that person, that person, you know, not thinking about too much, not, not willing to just make that like one scratch on the surface then goes, Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. Move on. And now that's just, now that's like informing <laughs> something that they then go on and, you know, talk in, in conversations in their life and whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a broad sort of critique of social media in general, but as it applies to something that is steeped in myth, um, and misinformation already heavily uh, yeah. it exacerbates it, obviously. Ooh.
1: I mean, I think what I would urge people to do is any piece of information, you need to stop and say, is this correct? You know, is this a reliable source?
3: Yeah. And, yeah. and you
1: need to look it up. And you know what? If that person is incorrect, you should block them. Yeah. That's it. You don't give people a chance to, because if they're out there and that's, I mean, they're, if they're sort of an influencer or they're holding themselves as a medical expert or in that field, and they don't care enough to give you the truth, the accurate information, they're going to be wrong about other things. And totally. you just don't need them in the, in your field, in your in your feed. And don't worry about FOMO, fear of missing out, because there's plenty of people with great content. You know, mm. there are people who put good stuff out there. Why are you, you know, just because they have... 2 million followers. You're literally, you're not missing out anything and you're probably harming yourself.
2: Mm -hmm. And if they're, and if you, if even if you interact with them in a negative way, like you comment, you know, this is not true that that oh, comment that, yeah. that comment, yeah. that, comment that comment yeah. just just yeah. made the algorithm go here let's give you more of this and yeah. let's give you exactly. more of this from other people on different topics that mm-hmm. are also shitty if anyone's <laughs> looking for a
3: great uh, instagram account to follow uh try at dr jen gunter, D-R jen gunter. um i i hear it's great um, we should
0: go on a we should go on a disinformation uh Crushing campaign where everybody just goes and starts reporting those. Accounts. Yeah. Like every time you see them, start reporting them and then block. Them. I was thinking, I was thinking, how cool would this be? Bring back Mythbusters, Mythbusters
3: 2.0, but instead of doing myths of like, you know, can you get shot by a bullet if you're underwater? Let's start doing Mythbusters where the season only focuses on the bullshit myths that are being perpetuated through whatever, whatever influencer you want to like, you know, t- tag there for that. You just gave uh, away a, m- a million dollar show. Idea. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, yeah, well, we'll just uh, cut that uh, It's good. Yeah. We'll cut that <laughs> out. Uh, all right. So let's start with this, uh, this, a, this myth that now this is one, when I read, I went, okay, I could see this. I could see this possibly, uh, can tampons cause painful periods? No, that no, is a myth. It's,
1: that's a myth. Um, and it's, it's one of these things that, it's just much more complex. And that's one of the things, right? Myths distill complex things down to sort of off the cuff comments. And so no, um, if you look at the physiology of menstrual cramps, tampons cannot change that. However, if you're somebody who has um, pelvic floor muscle spasm as part of your menstrual cramps, Mm. then inserting a tampon may be painful and it might feel weird or uncomfortable. And so it's this other thing that's kind of related to your menstrual cramp. It's part of your pain experience. The tampon's not causing it but it might be uncomfortable. In the same way, like if your foot is inflamed and you put a shoe on, right? Right. It's painful. The shoe didn't cause the inflammation, but it's not helping that situation. So Mm -hmm. I would just say that if tampons are painful for people during their menstrual cycle, then that might be time to talk to their doctor and also maybe seek out help from a pelvic floor physical therapist.
0: Mm -hmm. When when you say um, uh, it might be caused by something like a pelvic floor muscle spasm, Mm -hmm. how do you know if, if... you're a a woman who hasn't talked about these types of things and doesn't really know what that's like. How would you know that it's that versus like a, some other, um, normal, uh, quote unquote, normal, uh, part of, of menstruation.
1: Right. So if, when you're trying to put a tampon, it feels like you're hitting a wall. You're like, wait, there's a blockage there. Like what is going on? Or just the active insertions painful, right? Because What's happening with the pain with menstruation is higher up; it's in the uterus. Mm-hmm. And so, if the tam, you know, the insertion is painful, if you can't get it in the spot, the right spot, and it's feeling weird, you shouldn't feel a tampon when it's in. So, if you can feel it the whole time, if it feels like you're hitting something. That's a time to say, "Hey, maybe there's something going on with my pelvic floor uh, as part of my menstrual cramp experience."
3: Mm-hmm. Cool. How about this one? Uh, and again, this is another one that I was like, well, I don't know. And I think this is because I i don't think I knew, I don't know enough about the physiology of the human mm-hmm. body, but controlling blood flow without products. And I, I guess, <laughs> you know what, I'll, I'll say this before you go into it, maybe give a little bit of um, of, of an explanation for uh, for people who don't. For me. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, for, for people who don't have periods. Um, like what, what does that mean? And like, why would someone like, what are, what is the myth? Like, what is it that they, that, that people, uh, think that they can do and for what reason?
1: Yeah. I mean, so there's this myth that people believe that you can turn menstruation on and off. Like you want, like you could hold your urine before going to the bathroom. Right.
3: right? Okay. Right.
1: And you see it from, you know, uneducated men who are like, well, why do you need to waste all those money on mental products? You can just hold it and go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, and we actually see it from, I would say, toxic female influencers who say that they can learn to control their pelvic floor muscles so much mm. that they can control whether blood comes in or out. And both of those things are harmful in different ways. I mean, one, it's harmful because that's not how the body works. But two, if you actually tried to clench your pelvic floor muscles like that to stop blood leaking out, you could actually cause a pain problem. And it's not Mm. physically possible. It's just not how it works. There's no sphincter there, right? So with, um, with feces with uh, urine, you have a sphincter, a, a muscle that you can control to open and close. You don't have mm-hmm. that with menstruation, just like you don't have it with your nose. Like right. when your nose starts to run, it starts to run with your nose bleeds, it starts to bleed. Mm-hmm. And so it's, we don't have a sphincter. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it almost
0: we got like to be... we we get a sphincter for your nose. <laughs> I, know. Yeah, you I was going to say, it's almost sphincter. as if Maybe it would be installed. It's almost <laughs> as if, there, would, it was, would be amazing if there was some sort of device that you could put inside of you that would sort of absorb that blood flow. Right. It, you know, the, this reminds
2: me. It reminds me of um, of of yoga culture. Like, I, I I I own yoga studios and I've and I've been a yoga teacher for for over a decade. And and there are parts of yoga culture where I'm just like, yo, can we just can we just uh, realize that like this part of that is, in, is insane. And, mm. and we can just put that aside and focus on the good, productive, mm-hmm. helpful aspects of this thing. Um, like I don't need you to tell me that like, if I, you know, that I can like stop my heart from beating if I, you know, meditate it, meditate right, on right, it yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's not helpful. It's not useful. Why, why can't we just put
0: this away? It's beyond the scope of the practice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Here's a yeah, little. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say like there doesn't have to be a fantasy aspect of it. Like Mm. go watch Lord of the Rings. Go, you know, go into, there's all kinds of super cool world building and all different kinds of fantasy novels. We don't have to fantasize or fetishize, you know, human physiology.
3: Yeah, yeah. Go follow the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, you got it. Uh, I lost it. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was going to bring aliens into it. Fuck it, whatever. Uh, this one, this one, I, so this one, I, I, I almost laughed at and, and which, which I know it's probably, probably not the greatest thing, but, but it just sounded so absurd to me because I don't understand how this could possibly happen. Can a menstrual cup cause my uterus to fall out? Where the fuck did that come from?
1: Yeah. So a lot of this, so a lot of mythology, there's like a kernel of something vaguely factual. So hmm. that's why people believe it because it sounds familiar and we all mistake familiarity with accuracy. Yes. So, it's true people can develop uterine prolapse or vaginal prolapse meaning the tissues start to come down. It's related to collagen and gravity and and it can be a real problem for many people. People have to put Um, some people have to wear pessaries devices to hold their uterus up. Some people have to have surgeries because for some people it can literally be falling out. So that's Mm -hmm. a real medical condition.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now a menstrual cup goes in and you take it out and you put it in and take it out. Uh, and there is a, someone came up with the idea that that might create suction and you're pulling down the uterus, which it doesn't, they don't create (laughs) suction in that way. Um, And occasionally, if people are having difficulty removing a cup, we might say, you just want to bear down a little bit, like just a little. And of course, if you strain repetitively, that can be a risk factor for prolapse, Mm -hmm. but there's a big difference between straining repetitively and just giving a little, "Uh," right? Sure. So, you know, so it's, it, it, so that's kind of where it came from. There's no data to support it at all. Um,
2: are there um are there any are there any extra implications that somebody might want to consider with using uh, a menstrual cup if they have a a, a prolapse uh, already present? Mm. If the or cup it... goes in,
1: you're good. Okay. Um mm. and the other thing is is so there are we put pessaries, I mentioned them earlier, devices into the vagina to help hold the structures up. Mm-hmm. And some of them actually do work a little bit by suction. And we put those in, we tell people they can take them out and clean them and all that kind of stuff. So if you can put a pessary in and out of your vagina to treat prolapse, right? then how is a menstrual cup mm. like going to be harmful? It just, mm. like, that makes sense.
0: Uh, I'm curious. Do you guys know, have you guys heard of pessaries before? No.
2: Kyla's been fitted. Uh, Kyla has a... Pro- Kyla has a um a bladder prolapse from, from mm. having Zaya and mm. she was fitted with a pessary. It was super uncomfortable for her. She really didn't, she really didn't enjoy it. So she didn't end up using it, but she has one. Um, so yeah, we've been talking in the studio. It. We'll put it well, on the can I just, yeah. can I yeah. just
1: interrupt? That means her pest, she does has the wrong size. It's uncomfortable.
2: That makes, amazing. that makes a lot so, of sense. And there's, we will there's send action. you an invoice and you or know what? you send and, us an invoice and, and after this, this and we'll, of, we'll make sure you get it's paid. Like, it's like, it, and I think, I believe I said that when it happened, but, it, and this is, you know, this is just, this is just the, the, the kind of the unfortunate result of people's experience across a number of, across any topic um, uh, or for any reason in the healthcare system is, is I, I thought that that was likely the case, but the experience of, the experience of going through being told that it's correct and feeling Mm -hmm. like it's not. uh, But, but somebody insisting that it is, Mm -hmm. it, it completely, it completely turned her off from, 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 from going, Oh, I'll, I'll continue down this road Mm -hmm. to try and get the right fit. Cause it was like, I just don't want to go through that experience anymore Mm -hmm. because it was so uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. that's, it's bad. and shitty. It's
1: really sad. And that's an example about how, yeah, people get, you know, mistreated in the office, or they just even have like one negative thing said to them. And it's such a personal thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going, someone's got their hand in your vagina, they're doing all this stuff. You know, I sort of say it's like this casual cruelty. And sometimes it's not even meant that way. But it's just like this casual cruelty. And I think that, um, you know, if someone were saying it, you're getting a biopsy on your arm, I mean, it would probably still be bothersome. But I think it would have less of an impact than during an intimate exam because you're super vulnerable Mm -hmm. and, um, You know, all I can tell you is there are uh, so many different devices for incontinence. There's even one you can buy over the counter called an Impressa that you can try. So, Hmm. you know, um, that you can then try it in the, you know, the comfort of your own
0: home. Cool. You could bring it up to Kyla. It might impress her. Hey, that was, that wasn't, that wasn't bad. Uh, That wasn't bad. Yeah. You were, you were (laughs)
1: like, just, I was like, Oh I got it.
0: I got it. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask, so I've been talking to my mom a lot about her vagina lately. Um, and, um, and my mom has a vaginal prolapse. She had mm-hmm. bladder cancer, Aww. and uh, and I, I should say I haven't been directly. It's more Maddie who's been talking to her a lot, Ooh. and I've just been involved in the conversation because I'm there. But uh, I the first time I heard about a pessary was like a couple of weeks ago. I had never heard of heard of it before, um, but hearing my mom talk, it was sort of sounded like uh, at a certain point in your life for older women they can be helpful. Um, not just if you have a prolapse is, is that true? Or are they specifically for prolapses?
1: They're for prolapse or incontinence and they're okay. very different mm. depending what they're for. So they have these really cool things for inco- like, so incontinence, you need less of a support than for, than for prolapse. Um, so I always tell people like for incontinence, um, what happens is, you know, with time, the collagen gets like a little weaker. And if you think about, um, like a garden hose and you're on the ground, that's your urethra. And and when you're coughing or sneezing, um, your foot is stamping on the hose to stop you leaking, right? So that's kind of like the mechanism. And, but if you had the hose on like muddy ground and you stomp down, you don't get as good a seal, right? Mm-hmm. So what the incontinence, some of the incontinence pessaries do not all of them but some of them act like a backstop so you put it in so then it's you actually have something that can provide more support Mm. there's there's ones that can support the urethra there's many different ones and for prolapse as well and when people have had big surgeries there might be unique ones that fit better for them um and so yeah it's a very specialized field Mm. um, to know about all the different you know pessaries is kind of like and when you go to get fit for a pessary it's like going to the eye doctor Better yes, better no. Put in the next size. Better yes, better no. And just mm-hmm. like going to the eye doctor, you are like, I don't know, maybe
3: yeah. I can't <laughs> tell. Yeah, so and hard. so,
1: yeah, and so we ask people to get up and walk around. Do you feel it? Does it feel okay? Mm. We ask people to go to the bathroom. Can you go to the bathroom with it in? So mm. all of that should be done as part of the like pessary, you know, experience.
3: Mm. Cool. Um, I got I got one more myth. Okay, and again, this is one that when I first read it, I went, "What the fuck?" But then, but then when I read into what you you had mentioned. It, it started to make sense where this could kind of stem from uh is there roundup in tampons like yeah. fertilizer like yeah like the oh, you know, like uh, like monsanto round roundup. <laughs> now now, yeah. now be, before before Jen before you get into it do, do you guys do you do you know like is you, that if the if like, you could think of why that might have popped up as a myth
2: uh well I can't really think of why it popped up as a myth I am familiar with Roundup yeah. and the gigantic class action lawsuit yes. against it. Yeah, okay. What <laughs> like about you, Brian? You cross
3: it? contamination at the factories that mm, produce it's them. It's not. A, I mean, not a bad guess, but no, not not quite. Jen. Uh, I'm
1: yeah. <laughs> so the cotton that's picked from the fields. There you go. You know, uh, fertilized with uh, evil Monsanto mm-hmm. products is going to become a death death stick for your vagina.
3: Right. Right.
1: And I mean, <laughs> first of all, no one has ever proven that. There's no paper. It's not one paper that says mm-hmm. that. So that's very classic with sort of this whole like alternative wellness field. Is it just say something? Well, okay, you can't just say something, but it's not possible. Um, because first of all, you know, when uh, Roundup is applied to the cotton, it wouldn't end up on the fibers, right? And I actually, I actually talked to someone who's an expert to get that, you know, that information. Um, the amount that's applied is actually minuscule. Um, and Roundup's not toxic to humans. So it's a whole big thing. We it works on an enzyme we don't have. So um, you know, it's, it's such a it's that's
3: great. what a shill for Monsanto would say. <laughs>
2: it
0: is, isn't
3: it? <laughs> this is, a, yeah, this I, is such a prime
2: example of how it's like. It's so easy to just go roundups and tampons. It's yeah. going to kill you versus yeah. you going, yeah, like I did this digging and I had to talk to her like an expert and figure out, oh, it's this and that. And like, it's all these. it's like it takes so much legwork for you to come to the real yeah. conclusion versus well, I, being able to say the fake thing.
1: I, exactly. It's much easier to lie.
0: <laughs>
1: right it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and I mean like for the, every single myth, I, you know, I don't know how many agricultural websites like UC Davis, all these big like agricultural universities. I, I mean, I learned like how they, how they put fertilizer on cotton. I checked with, you know, an expert in the field and asked him and, you know, read all these, like, you know, this stuff from, you know, the U S department of agriculture and, um, you know, and I think people appreciate that, but it's, you know, these claims all come from people who profit from them. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because they're doing the things basically that they're accusing the other people of doing, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, Monsanto's probably, you know, somehow like they're like they're colluding with Tampax or whatever. And so, it's like, what's really happening is people making organic products are, are doing, they're colluding to kind of, to lie to you. And there's actually no study that shows, or, so first of all, organic doesn't mean anything. You could put mm-hmm. that label on anything. It has mm-hmm. no meaning. Um, organic fertilizers are just less well-tested. So, you know, <laughs> you, don't, you know, it doesn't mean that they're safer. They're just less well-tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you have this idea that, that, well, everybody's trying to harm you. Well, that's a conspiracy theory right, which again, is key to the heart of wellness. So, um, you know, it's, it's convenient to blame big companies and things like that. But like, when you actually look at, um, you know, at, at the products, you know, organic tampons are not any safer. And I also find it interesting that people get very worked up about this with tampons, but they don't about diapers.
3: Mm hmm.
1: Right. And so what does that say? That says that it's about, you know, controlling a female body. Right. So, you know um, and about purity and everything else. So like, like, shouldn't we be having, like, if people are equally worried, if they're worried, if there's really, really harmful chemicals in um, tampons, well, what about diapers? Hmm. Like, you know, so, and that often falls by the wayside. So, yeah, yeah. So by buy the tampon you like, but if you're spending money for organic tampons, you are literally not getting anything better. Mm. And then you're, this is a product you have to use, you know, every 24 to 34 days for, you know, 30 years, 40 years, do you really want to be spending more money on it?
0: Mm-hmm. I uh, th- I had just had a really dumb question pop into my head. Um, thinking about like myths and misconceptions. And, uh, I'm, I'm curious if there's any truth to this and what you think about this, but, um I've heard my female friends talk about how you never wipe uh back to front. Um I don't do you, think that's a myth. Is, I think that's pretty it, well, particularly see. for It is for absolute
1: women. scam. You can wipe how you want.
2: I thought I I uh Thank
3: fuck because I, I wipe was, back to front which I I mean obviously wouldn't have an effect on my vagina cuz I don't have one, but also I like wiping back to front. So, so, so I would that. That's amazing.
1: So the whole thing is Oh my gosh, you're going to put fecal bacteria into your vagina. Really? Really. Has any, if you have a vagina and you have an anus, you know, which is which you're not (laughs) going to take feces from your rectum and be like, okay, I'm going to then now transport it forward (laughs) and stuff it into my vagina. Like it's not going to happen. Wipe how you want or move it forward to the urethra that it's, it's absolutely ludicrous it's not based in and it's based again in purity stuff and um whether that's an issue for children in diapers i'll leave that to the pediatricians Mm -hmm. but for for um for people who are able to not be in diapers Mm -hmm. um just you know wipe in the way that is comfortable for you
2: but also what about kids in diapers though because
0: like i mean a a baby in a diaper i mean they kind of like the, I'll so tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you,
2: because Ki- Kyla said said this to me when we first had say it was like, always wipe front to back, never back to front. And I
3: was like, with the baby, not with the baby. You, Yeah, right. yeah, not
2: with me. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, and, I, and it, in my head, I went, how does that make any sense to me? And then and then I started to go, there's a lot of cross contamination happening here, no matter oh, what. Yeah, right, so right. does it really matter? I mean, I got a clean poo out of, out of her vagina, regardless. Yeah, like yeah. It's, just, it's So I'm like, what? Well, does it matter which way I? For wipe? adults, I
3: always was just they, like every time I heard that, I always thought, man, how aggressive are you wiping? Like, what is the? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Again, that's a yes, common I, issue.
1: I think most most people who have a urethra, vagina, and rectum are pretty familiar with which is which yeah. and how not to to take a t- piece of toilet paper covered in fecal matter and use it on yeah. their urethra. Totally. Um, I,
0: I was really curious. One other question I wanted to ask um about the sort of about the myths that we've we've gone over so far or um or even some that we haven't. Um but I was curious when you mentioned about getting uh messages from folks on on Twitter or Instagram when they when they were asking you and sending you messages like is this true, is this true? Was there a a particular myth or misconception that you seem to uh come across more often than any of the others?
1: I mean, I think that the one that's really popular right now is the idea that hormonal contraception is going to damage your brain mm. um, and, uh, and make you pick the wrong partner.
0: Whoa, really?
1: Yeah. yeah didn't you know that? So, um, so you're going to be on the birth control pill. Oh. You're going to fall in love with a beta male. And then Uh-oh. when you stop the pill, you're going to realize that what you really wanted was an alpha male or Whoa. some, some along those lines that, that wow. when you stop the pill, all of a sudden you will realize that you're with the wrong person.
3: Uh, Thank God. Uh, Kira wow. Just, Kira just stopped the pill recently. I'm so glad that she <laughs> didn't, didn't realize how much of a beta I am. Uh, well, it's this so idea she that was really on the wrong pill.
1: So you think that women are so, yeah, un- in charge yeah. of their emotions yeah. that a hor that a hormone that sounds like something out of like a James Bond or a science fiction movie, right? Totally. So there's that, and then there's this idea. Okay, so then what about all those hormones you get exposed to in pregnancy? Mm. So mm-hmm. those are like, so do that not change? And what about the experience of postpartum depression? What about you know? And it's like, yeah, people don't stop the pill. And then look at their partner and say, oh, clearly I've been in a brain fog for 20 years. Ooh, like, yeah, look at this, you know, mirror. like you've yeah. had
2: no agency, yeah. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. It totally strips women of their agency. And I think that there is some data to show that being on the birth control pill changes brain function. However, the menstrual cycle changes brain function. Pregnancy changes brain function. Mm-hmm. Being postpartum breastfeeding changes brain function menopause changes, brain function, puberty changes, brain function, being angry, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's not, so you can't look at a study and say, Ooh, there's a change. You have to say, what does this change mean in concept of, in the context of how humans function Mm -hmm. and the thousand
2: Um, other things that are also interacting with each other. Right.
1: Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I can tell you why uh, a woman might um, decide when she stops the pill that she wants to get divorced because She's been on it for 20 years. She's been begging her partner for the last five to get a vasectomy and he won't. And she's like, fuck it. I'm done. Why Mm. should I, you know, why aren't you participating Mm. or, you know, so I just, it's, it's really, we have to be very, very careful, but that's a big one. And unfortunately, Ooh. apparently in Scotland, they're seeing a rise in the abortion rate because of young women being afraid to take the most effective forms of contraception. Wow. Oh,
0: wow. wow! What Are, are there um, another maybe misconception that I've heard about the pill is, is, and maybe there is some truth to this, but it's more nuanced, but um, the longer that you're on the pill, if you're trying to get pregnant and you come off, that sometimes it can take you longer to get pregnant afterwards is, is the truth. Okay. Total really?
1: myth. Yep. It's yeah.
3: Mythbusters. Mythbusters edition. Yeah. This is it.
1: Total this- myth. Um. No, you just... So the pill works on preventing pregnancy in the same way that pregnancy works preventing pregnancy. So uh, if you didn't have a way to stop ovulation, you would keep ovulating during pregnancy. And mm. that wouldn't be a good thing to keep getting pregnant throughout the pregnancy, right? Like that would be real. Like, what does that... You know, we, we don't have litters. We need to have just one, mm. hopefully. Um, sometimes you can have two, but you know you hear these rare cases about people who have twins, but they were conceived like a week apart. Mm. That's oh, wow. when that mechanism doesn't hasn't kicked in quite quick enough.
2: Oh wow! Okay, oh, I didn't know. That. I yeah. didn't. Even, I didn't. I've never even heard of that. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's called super fecundation, um, and it's rare. It's very rare because that would be really bad for us as a species to keep getting pregnant while you're pregnant. Mm, mm. So, um, so the way pregnancy stops you from getting pregnant is the high levels of progesterone mm. shut off ovulation. And when you take the birth control pill, high levels of the hormone progestin, which is like progesterone, shut off ovulation. Wow. And so it takes about the same amount of time after stopping the pill as it takes after having a pregnancy without going mm. on contraception for the cycle to reset itself. Mm, so-
0: it's a- I was I was going to say it's amazing because like you said at the beginning it's it's funny how if you understand how the body works then these myths start, stop making sense mm-hmm. when you yeah. when you think like oh well I mean I'll- I'm so
2: for, I'm, I I I feel although IVF uh, I, although going through IVF to have Zaya was like you know it it had it it was brutal in a lot of ways um but um but obviously we got Zaya from it and and the uh, the other the other um you know really positive aspect of going through that experience was the amount of information that I was able to absorb about, like, about the menstrual cycle and the fertility, the fertility, the adjacent fertility functions and mechanisms that um, that work in conjunction with the menstrual cycle and and and, hor- and how hormones are interacting to shut off or turn on different functions. I mean, that was mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm. Um,
1: well, and I would just say that so fertility experts, infertility experts, they actually use the birth control pill as part of infertility protocols. So, they use it to time cycles. So, if they want it, so what the birth control pill does is basically put your follicles from that cycle (laughs) kind of on ice, if you will, around like day two. And so, it's all this, all this intricate timing with IVF and all this stuff and this and that. And so, if they want to time things correctly, they often have people on the pill to prevent them from having, you know, an ovulation that occurs and then early, and then that screws up that cycle. So, if the pill delayed your ability to get pregnant, how could it be part of infertility protocols?
3: That's a good point. <laughs> well, Jen, I, I feel like uh, we could talk to you for just hours and hours. You're such a wealth of information, and it's always uh, such a such a great time to have you on the podcast. Uh, again, folks, the book is called Blood: The Science, Medicine, and Mythology of Menstruation. We just covered like you know a, a few of the myths within the book, but there is so much more content there. Um, Maybe just like a quick high level overview of like, what can people expect in the book? Who's this book for? Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this book is for everybody. I don't think that just because if you're a menstruator that you should know about it, we're all here because of menstruation. If we didn't have the menstrual cycle, humans would have evolved in a different way. So the fact that you have cool technical devices, that you get to do fun things in life is related to some human having a big brain and that human had a big brain because of menstruation, right? Because of the menstrual cycle, it's related to that. So I think everybody should learn about it, but especially if it affects you personally. Um, And this book is really, it really is, I think the subtitle explains it. It's about the basic science behind it. It's about the medicine, and it's about the myths that have come from it. And, you know, I've tried to make the science as light as possible, but I think that there's a lot of power in knowing how it all works. Mm. Um, You know, knowing what, um, how your body works, because you know what, it's not that hard. There's just a lot of it. Um, And so I've tried to pick out the things that I think are the key components for you to know how your body works. Um, And, uh, and then I would say there's, you know, a ton of information in there about, all the different supplements and things you'd hear about those online. And, you know, you'll, you'll see that there's so little data for those. And I always tell to people, you deserve data. You deserve more than an exploratory study, you know, done by a company that profits from, from selling it. You deserve, you know, hardcore data. And, um, and I'm hoping to, you know, give people that kind of background so they know to have those questions.
3: Well, folks, if you are listening to this the day that this episode has been released, the book is available now, as of yesterday. So you can find the book uh, on Amazon. I'm sure you can find the book elsewhere. I mean, it's it's one of those books that i'm I'm sure you can find is everywhere but i'll put it but i'll put it to you yeah everywhere
0: everywhere books are sold your
1: independent bookstore indigo amazon um yeah you you can get it anywhere and i'm going on book tours starting january 23rd and so you can buy books at lots of the events and you can get them signed and i'll write whatever funny thing you want in your book like (laughs) fuck the patriarchy
3: (laughs) Uh, how can people find you jen
1: yeah, you can find me everywhere at Dr. Jen Gunter on uh, Instagram, on Twitter. I'm sorry, I'm not calling it X, like whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I
0: hear you.
1: On threads, on Blue Sky uh, and on TikTok, but I'm not on TikTok very often. I just find it's too much of a, like a suck, time suck. You just, mm. you're there and you're like, wait a minute, it's an hour. What happened? <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Um, and, uh, and then at my blog, The Vagenda with a J, thevagenda.com. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Jen. This has been an absolute treat. Love having you on the show. Thanks for taking your time out of your schedule. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know? Tell someone that you love. Tell someone that you don't know. That you listen to Sick Boy Podcasts and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Simple.